And I know we also are praying for uh, Pete and Carol Roberts as Carol's mother is under hospice care and Carol's being told her mother doesn't have long with us in this world. But she rejoices in knowing that her mom is trusting in Jesus. So it's just a matter of time before she goes home. I was thinking as Allison was playing, she, uh, in case she didn't notice, uh, she was brought up Baptist. Her, uh, her father, Larry Linker, was uh, for many years a Southern Baptist pastor in the area of uh, Stanley County where Kathy and I and our family lived and ministered for almost 14 years. Pastor Linker uh, was a longtime pastor at Big Lick Baptist Church. Now, if you're wondering where Big Lick is, Charlotte is the gateway to it. I just want you to know that. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's right over next to uh, Oakboro. But uh, she, uh, after her dad retired and they were looking for a church to attend, and they came over to our church, and of course, you know, Presbyterians are somewhat suspect when it comes to, you know, Real important questions like, do you believe the Bible and do you preach Jesus? I mean, things like that really come to mind. And so Pastor Linker came over. We met. We talked. He attended a worship service or two. And bless his heart, in spite of his best judgment, he told them that it was okay to attend there. (laughs) But I always was grateful for the Sundays that he came. He was my amen corner back there in the Presbyterian Church. And uh, just uh, wonderful people. Allison and Gwen, thank you so much for being here. So, we've come to Luke chapter 11, and today we'll look at verses 27 through 32, as uh, we already have had a couple of doctors up here in front of us today. Thankful that uh, Luke, the physician, has this wonderful good news recorded so meticulously and carefully, but most importantly, by means of inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so that we have good news. The television is filled with gloom. Depending on what app you look at on your phone or what channel you happen to be watching, there's plenty of bad news out there. But remember, we have the best of all good news as we think of the one who really is the remedy for this mess we're living in. Theological word there, mess. I don't want you to speak over your heads there. I mean, we really are a mess, this fallen world. And yet here is the Lord Jesus as he is going about doing his Father's will. So at this point, remember, big picture, Jesus, at this point in his ministry, is determined to go to Jerusalem. And there is no question about what that means. Going to Jerusalem, of course, will have its moment of adulation when the crowds welcome him and they will cry out, Hosanna. But nobody is under any delusion. When he goes to Jerusalem, he will face the fiercest of all opposition that will not be satisfied until he is dead on a cross. He is going there to die. And he's determined to do it. So keep that in your minds as we read together. Luke 11, beginning with verse 27. Hear the word of God. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. 
The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So may the Lord bless this reading of his word. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. And so two guys walking through the hills of Scotland, Americans, came upon two people in the woods along the trail. An older lady and a gentleman walking alongside them. They struck up a conversation. And uh, the two who were from that area asking where they were from, and by the way, one of them happened to be the Queen of England before she passed away with her bodyguard. And these clueless Americans were asking him, oh, are you from around here? And she said, well, no, I live in London. (laughs) They said, well, how long have you been coming up here? And she said, oh, for the better part of 80 years. They said, oh, wow, that's a long time. I'll bet you've seen the queen. And she said, no, but my friend Harry here sees her quite a bit. And they were all amazed. And they said, oh, wow, can we have our picture taken with you? So they had Queen Elizabeth take their picture with the bodyguard. And they said, "Uh, what's she like? And he said, oh, she's very cantankerous on some days. You would just really be surprised. So out of courtesy, they had the bodyguard take their picture with this dear, older, sweet lady so that she would feel like she was a part of the mix. And after they had left, the queen looked at her bodyguard and winked and said, wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall when they get back home and someone looks at the picture and recognizes who's in it? What a sense of humor. You know, how is it that in the course of life, when we are so enamored in our culture with celebrity, when we, when we you know, just are, are just, we almost worship these people. They're almost like idols. And uh, we become so fixated on them. And, you know, we even develop names for followings of people. You know, Swifties, for example. Now, Swiftie was Bill Swift back home. He taught us driver's ed at Tuscola High School. (laughs) So every time I hear that word on the news, all I can think of is Coach Swift. And that's not what they're talking about at all. But people become all enamored with that sort of thing. Well, At this juncture in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, as he has performed miracles and as he has preached, his fame has spread abroad. And we see in this very passage how that the crowds were increasing. But prior to that notation, you have this interesting encounter with a dear soul, a woman in the crowd. As he is going about his work in ministry, she just simply cries out. She shouts out, you know, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. This kind of adulation, you know, is... uh, And she thought she would say something that would uh, perhaps endear herself to him. But Jesus makes uh, an interesting statement. He doesn't rebuke her, by the way. But he comes back with a but. But, he said, blessed rather are those who keep the word of God, or rather who hear the word of God and keep it. Reminding us that the Lord Jesus ultimately calls us to faith and obedience. He's unimpressed with applause and adulation. While many people thrive on that sort of thing, many people, you know, push their entertainment careers beyond what they probably should do in the way of performing long after their voices have been at their peak, 
they're continuing on because that applause, that adulation is just something they can't give up. It's almost an addiction. Make no mistake about it. The Lord Christ is not addicted to the applause and adulation of people. And he minces no words. He's not interested in platitudes. He's not interested in having a fan base. He is calling people to repent and to trust in him. And note that he goes against any advice that any marketer anywhere in the world would have given him. At just the moment when the crowds are increasing, he does exactly what someone in our own generation would tell him not to do. Luke 6, 46-49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? You know, words. We say it, but saying it is not the same thing as believing it. James says, though you may say that you have faith, can that faith save you? What faith is he referring to? The faith that you say you have. So many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, everyone comes to me and hears my words and does them. I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug a who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, as we think about Dr. Poland's message last week, building a house on a rock, not just listening, not just responding with amens and platitudes, but actually doing what the Lord says. So when the crowds are increasing, he goes against the advice of the marketers, and he says this generation is an evil generation. Wow. That's not the way to build up your fan base. That's not the way to increase your poll numbers by saying words like that but Jesus speaks the truth because they're not really seeking after him they're you know they're they're looking for an event they're looking for a spectacle they want a sign they want to see some miracle they want some wow factor in their lives and Jesus doesn't mince words he says it seeks for a sign and it wants these miracles these Indicators of the miraculous, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Why is it that we would seek after something that can provide only a short-term fix to a long-term problem? We all would like to experience the miraculous and be healed from the cold or COVID or cancer, whatever it may be at the moment. We would love to see that sort of thing happen and of course miracles do happen i believe that god has miraculously healed people i've seen it in the course of my ministry i've seen many times when he did not heal people but why is it that we become so enamored with that when all the while we have the greatest miracle of all miracles in the person of the lord jesus it's not that we are to ignore his miraculous acts whether it's healing the sick, raising the dead to life, or stilling the winds and the waves. But he himself is what we need. The long-term solution to our long-term problem that we might have forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. And yet, there are always those who claim insufficient evidence. I would believe if only I had enough evidence. The unregenerate, which is a technical way of describing those who are still in unbelief, those who have not experienced the new life that the Holy Spirit gives, enabling us to have faith, the unregenerate claim the need for 
proof while at the same time cultivating a habit of ignoring the obvious. Where is the evidence for God, they say. Evidence for God? It's everywhere. We don't need any more evidence for God any more than I need evidence that somebody made my cell phone. I look at the creation and it bears testimony and witness to the Lord. And in the same way, I look at this piece of technology and I wouldn't say, wow, it's amazing that all of this flew together and formed this contraption so that I can talk to it and people hear me through it and I can see things on it. We have evidence. There is no lack of that. But people in unbelief and suppressing the knowledge of the truth and unrighteousness have cultivated a mentality so that there would never be enough evidence. If we witnessed all of the miracles that Jesus performed in our day, we might tend to think, well, everyone would believe if they saw that. No, they wouldn't. Because the problem is not intellectual in nature. It's not a lack of knowledge or lack of evidence. The problem is the heart and an unwillingness to believe. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, he said to the Jews, to the leaders of the Jews. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Think of the intellectual knowledge that these individuals possessed, and yet they did not, would not, could not see the Lord Christ, the message of all Scripture there. Of course, Greg was altogether correct in pointing out that Solomon foreshadows the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament as others do, even as his own father David did. In a very imperfect way, the case of Solomon, a very imperfect way. And yet, he does. And note that even with what information she had, that the Queen of Sheba, that Jesus refers to as the Queen of the South, makes a long journey in order to experience the wisdom of Solomon. And yet, here is the Lord Jesus, as he already makes the declaration that one greater than Jonah is there, and he says no sign will be given to the generation except the sign of Jonah. He comes back to that in a moment. Jonah himself being a sign to the people. Note that. What do you think of when you think of Jonah? You think about him being swallowed by the great fish, don't you? And you think perhaps that's the sign. Well, of course it is, but... But no, Jonah himself is the real sign, that he survived that. Perhaps Dr. Lilback is right in pointing out to us a couple of weeks ago that Jonah actually died in the belly of the great fish. But at some point he was alive there because he spoke from the belly of the great fish, as we have those words recorded for us there. And the point of it is that he came out of that experience alive. I know we get uh, jeered and made fun of because we say such things. But after all, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. A God who is all-powerful is certainly capable of preserving the life of an individual in the belly of a sea creature, whatever it may have been. And I've, believe me, I've read the commentaries. You know, everything from this type of whale to this type of fish and everything in between. And uh, all I need to know is that God had that event happen and he controlled it and he preserved Jonah and that's good enough for me. So that even though Jonah was going in the opposite direction from where God was calling him, in the belly of that fish, and after three days, he was vomited up on shore, and old Jonah went where God was calling him. Reluctant prophet, though he may have been. And he goes to Nineveh, proclaiming judgment, wanting 
hell, fire, and brimstone to fall upon that evil nation. But the people repented. That's not what the prophet wanted. It's an indication to us, by the way, that God honors his word regardless of the vessel that carries it. Even so, Jonah is the sign. Somehow, by showing up, the people knowing what had happened to him, they repented of their sins. And yet, here is Jesus, who will be the ultimate Jonah, who won't have his life preserved in the belly of a great fish, but who, in fact, will die and be in the earth in a grave three days and three nights. Why do people want a sign when we have the Lord Jesus Christ? There is nothing greater that could be revealed to you than the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection, ascension, and enthronement of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an amazing thing as he has come to do all for us. And so he points to that. And getting back to the Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba that we heard read in our Old Testament reading, hearing the news about Solomon, she came. She made the great journey left her own place of rule. It took some humility to do that. For a monarch in that day to leave her own country and trappings of power and go elsewhere to seek out someone else to hear this wisdom. And she experienced it. And yet, here are so many people who have the Lord Jesus right there. No journey necessary. They don't have to get on camels and travel hundreds of miles. He's right there. Just like now, the Lord Jesus, present by means of the Holy Spirit, reveals to us in the Scripture, you don't have to get on a plane and travel halfway around the world. You don't even have to travel next door. All we have to do is call upon Him, for He is near, the Bible tells us. But so many will not avail themselves of this wondrous, glorious provision that is the Lord Jesus Rather, seeking for a sign, seeking for a spectacle, looking for that one who's going to give an utterance, looking for that piece of paper in a Chinese fortune cookie that's going to make all the difference. Oh, those are the numbers I need for the lottery. When are you going to realize that all of these things lead to the same destination? It is a dead end, literally dead end and separation from God. But here is the Lord Jesus, this perfect sign. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Jesus doesn't commend them to us. He's not telling us, go seek out that church where they're really doing stuff, you know, where they're amazing people with all the wondrous spectacle. You go there. That's where you're, that's where you're going to experience God. No. He said, be careful. That's how you get led astray. And believe me, we've got a whole host of people out there today who are enriching themselves by millions instead of simply preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Christ is our miracle. He is our sign. Does that mean there are not others? Of course not. God is all-powerful. If He chooses to heal as we pray and seek and ask, but all praise, honor, and glory to Him. But what I seek after is the Lord Jesus, to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, what? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
How contrary is that to the thinking of so many in the church today? Deny self? You mean set aside the things I want in order to pursue Christ and the things he wants for me? That's exactly what he calls us to. And by pointing to Jonah, he points at the centrality of his death and resurrection as being the heart of the gospel. By his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus himself is the sign of all signs. Just as surely as Jonah came out alive from that sea experience, Christ was tossed into that horrible sea of death as in great torment he suffered on the cross of Calvary, was buried in a grave, actually dead, and in three days he came forth. That glorious and wonderful sign, that sign of Jonah. The people of Nineveh repented at the sign of Jonah, but what about now? What do we do in light of this story? Oh, we, you know, we surmise about it. Well, I suppose there could be something to it. Even skeptics are willing to say, yes, all of the evidence points to the fact that it does look like a, a man rose from the grave. Wouldn't you think we ought to listen to somebody who came back from the grave? who actually did what he said he was going to do, unlike all the politicians that we're listening to today that make promises that they know they can't fulfill, saying things they know that we want to hear. And yet the Lord Christ showed up on earth and did exactly what he said he was going to do and prevailed in all that he undertook. In Matthew chapter 12, he gives us a little bit more in this account. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. They didn't believe it. They didn't understand it. And yet, that's what he did. He went to the grave. And back in Luke 2, remember the sign? We just came through Christmas. And this will be a sign to you. What was it to the shepherds? You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What is extraordinary about that? I read that passage and I know that we are deeply and sentimentally attached to it, but I am impressed by how plain it is. It's like saying you're going to find a baby in diapers lying in a feeding trough. Everything is normal there. The only thing that's abnormal is that he's in a manger. And yet it's the Lord Jesus. Any other baby would just be another baby. But this is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is the Savior of sinners. And so as he is preaching this, again, he's not doing it in order to gain for himself a greater following. He's not looking to build up the crowd. He is seeking to proclaim truth. Because what we need is the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are in unbelief, have a desperate need to turn from sin and trust in the Lord Jesus. There is no other way of salvation. Those of us who are believers need to be reminded as we have come together in worship and to be encouraged that as we read God's Word that we constantly are seeking to know Christ more fully. And as we know Him, that we are better equipped to make Him known. You don't ever mature past the gospel. You don't ever grow beyond knowing more about the Lord Jesus. We learn more of him with each passing day. In the last uh, little while, I've been forced to reflect upon 
a lot of things in my past life as I'm trying to write some of these things down. You know, nobody will ever read it, but I'm thinking maybe there might be a great, 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 great grandchild one of these days that'll pull off a piece of paper from the shelf and say, "Oh, who is this guy?" That's why I'm bald headed. <laughs> and read. You know, here I was, a high school student thinking I wanted to finish out the junior ROTC program and go into senior ROTC and be an officer in the military and then come out and go into law enforcement so that I could be back home. I wanted to stay in Haywood County in the mountains. I wanted to be able to look at Plot Balsam every day like I had through my life and know that because seven generations of my family had lived in its shadow, I would be able to continue there and maybe be able to do a little farming on the side and drive a tractor like I'd always wanted. That's all I ever aspired to do was drive a tractor. And when I found out I couldn't make a living at that, I thought, well, maybe I can go into the military and then law enforcement at some point and retire, and hopefully I can just farm until the money runs out. Until that day when I realized I could stand up in public and speak and say something to people. And the Lord said, what are you going to do with it? So yesterday when I saw that a very dear friend of mine has a son who's going into a senior ROTC program at the University of Tennessee. I'm sorry, Kathy. That just happens to be where he's going. Virginia doesn't like those orange volunteers up there. I thought that, that, that was my dream. That's what I wanted to do. But God had a different plan. And so in answering that, I had to yield. You know, I had to surrender. I had to give up. Something I wanted badly. But look at what I've gotten. More and more I've come to know the Lord Jesus. I'm no better preacher now than I was 20 years ago, but I'm still working at it. And I'm still trying to stand up and talk to people and open God's Word and proclaim the truth that's in it. But what I know is this. I have not now, nor will I ever regret, surrendering my life to Christ and answering the call. Because whatever benefit I may have gained by serving my country, though I am grateful for those who do, I am a citizen of the kingdom. And so are you. And I don't know what God may be doing in your life at this moment, but I suspect that most, if not all of you, at some point in your life are being called upon to give up and to relinquish what otherwise is very dear to you. And I just want to remind you, there is absolutely nothing worth holding on to if it will keep you from knowing the Lord Christ more and loving Him more. For what we gain in exchange from Him is far greater than anything we would relinquish in order to have Him. Don't look for a spectacle. It's the Lord Jesus that you need. So in every decision in life, whether you're budgeting your finances, be they great or meager, seek Him in your travels and in your journeys, trying to fulfill some purpose in your life. Why am I here? Why am I here? Why does God have me here? We are here to glorify Him and to serve Him and to make Him known. He's not equipped you with this knowledge just so that you can be puffed up with it. He's equipped you so that you can be an instrument in His hands so that the good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed. You can, you can share Jesus with people I'll never have an opportunity to speak to. 
You will have a hearing from people that I will never be given an audience because they know you. And even the most insignificant of words can make all the difference. Because one day, listening to a concert, as I was wrestling with my call to ministry and thinking I didn't want to leave home, I heard the word home uttered in a hymn. Just one word. And I realized that home was not a place on the map. Home is with Christ, who has gone to prepare for us a mansion, bright and glorious. Anything's worth giving up to have him. And I'm just here to remind you, we're here to serve the Lord Christ. He is the sign. He is the miracle. He is everything you need as God has provided for us. So keep looking to him, church. Keep your eyes on Jesus and praise him all your days. And it's just rehearsal because in eternity, that's exactly what we'll be doing and experiencing more fulfillment and joy as we do it than we have ever known in this life. That's a promise. And it's kept because the one who made it is faithful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise your name and we thank you for the glorious blessings of the gospel that are ours in Christ Jesus. And Lord, grant to us that we may serve your beloved Son, yielding our lives in repentance, trusting in him and following him and praising him. For we ask in his name. Amen. That's our hymn. Praise him, praise him. Let's stand together as we conclude.
opportunity for Sunday school in the fellowship hall just to my right, your left. If you want to avail yourself of that, you'll have a wonderful lesson. But whether you go there or elsewhere, go with the Lord's blessing. To that end, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen.